0: computer, 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 computer. from beautiful downtown southern maryland it's time for gears of resistance episode number 86 for the 3rd of september 2018 i'm mike and we're getting steamy and nerdy and all that uh anyway let's go ahead and just jump right on in we've got some interesting things we stumbled upon this past couple weeks that uh, we've been using and wanted to share and uh, maybe even get some feedback. So first, um, if you're using Python and it seems to be an increasingly popular language, um, whether you're doing um, embedded systems with MicroPython or still using Python uh, to create desktop applications, um, part of that is uh, creating a, sometimes if you're uh, trying to make something that's maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. user-friendly, creating a graphical user interface or a GUI. And there are a bunch of frameworks out there um, to help do that. Uh, Tkinter, Qt, Qt, Kivy, WXPython. Um, and uh, all are pretty good. And But they're kind of um, – I've used Tkinter mostly on uh, other projects I've worked on. But we've been playing around, well, I've been playing around with a new one, uh, called Pi Simple GUI, which basically, um, kind of like with Arduino and the wiring, you know, language that, or wrapper around the C language. PyGUI GUI just makes creating GUIs. It takes, it basically handles all the hard, crappy stuff, setting up a grid and all that, and makes it just basically you're saying, "I want a button," and when the button is pressed, I want results and stick it here um and uh, you know basically um almost kind of feels like uh remember back in college programming we were building a home automation or attempting to build something that uh basically a GUI to control a relay board um to do like lighting control and uh creating the vi- the interface with visual basic. So, uh, anyway, um, playing around with it. Don't have a huge, uh, experience, but I will say that the, um, the amount of code between creating, um, a user interface with Tekinter versus, uh, what it takes to get the same basic layout with, uh, um, PySimpleGUI, uh, is night and day. So check that out. We'll put a link in the show notes and, uh, you can check that out. Moving on, uh, TensorFlow now officially supports the Raspberry Pi. Uh, this came out, um, about a week, I guess a week or two ago now, almost two, three weeks. Uh, so TensorFlow is, is probably, um, we've talked about it, Google's, um, machine learning framework that, um, you know, historically supercomputer kind of, you know, teaching a computer how to, um, you know, this is an Apple. This is, a, you know, you show it a billion pictures and eventually it starts to be able to you give it a new picture. It can kind of make a guess. So that's what, you know, machine learning in a nutshell. Um, but now, you know, again, that that's taken, you know, was running on that kind of technology ran on servers, uh, you know, not too long ago, lots of compressive computing hardware. Um, and now, um, TensorFlow uh, can be ran on the $35 Raspberry Pi and it's, uh, you can grab the, you can grab it for free. So, um, they, um, basically you can go ahead and it's not a, you don't need a, a different distribution. There's no like, uh, TensorFlow Raspbian distro. You can just take your, your standard Raspbian and, uh, use, um, uh, if you've got Python installed, you can use the pit package system and just go ahead and install it and we'll put show notes to where you can go grab it all. But, um, it's kind of impressive to think that, you know, basically a $35 computer, a webcam, if you're going to do some sort of like, you know, visual learning, um, and basically now free, free software, you can have, um, what not too long ago, probably, you know, the research behind it is, you know, sunk millions and millions and millions of dollars, um, in terms of hardware and software and people's time and energy. Uh, now can be around these tiny little single board computers. Yeah, it's pretty freaking impressive. Um, and, uh, let's go on to, so another thing we're talking about things we've actually been trying to figure out here is uh, up until very recently, I kept a inventory of all my electronic components that uh, sit on the wall Resistors, capacitors, little sensors, anything I've bought over the years. And you use a few of them and then you put them away. And then when you get a new project comes along, um, try to basically make sure, you know, do I have already these parts before I go off and order again? And obviously that's what inventories do. Uh, and a spreadsheet has worked thus far. Um, but then, you know, this age of, you know, everything, you know, it's on a Google sheet so I can access it from anywhere. Um, but it's just, a, it's a spreadsheet. There's nothing, no magic to it. And so now I've been kind of, um, you know, thinking that there's obviously this is 2018. There's got to be other nerds out there that have similar interests. And so I wanted to kind of go see what is out there. And I found a few things that I'm, I haven't been sold on one or the other yet, but, um, um, looking into a few and I want to share and maybe get some feedback. So we've been looking at, uh, let's see here Openbomb.com, open bill of materials um, it's basically a way to create your bill of materials and a parts catalog and it's it's more than just electronics so they they are definitely built to being um, which is the pros and um, which i think for if you're if you're doing just electronics maybe you see it as a negative it's not you know tailored it's kind of very open ended very customizable um, but certainly if you're doing more than just electronics and you've got mechanical components, you want to also inventory, having a system that's not built solely for electronics is, um, um, a useful feature. Uh, the other one has been PartsBox.io, which, uh, is kind of more, um, tailored to the electronics community, um. Both of them have a uh, um, free-to-get-started kind of um, uh, plan. Uh, Let me see if we can figure out what their pricing is here. Boom, 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 boom. So, partsbox.io, they have basically... So, the hobbyist maker, which... I'm assuming most people listening are going to be in that community you get one user you can store up to 5,000 distinct parts and have a thousand storage locations Now that confuses me for a maker hobbyist why you would need a thousand storage locations because basically what they're saying is you can set up like um, say for instance say I had an inventory here uh, in the lab and I had an inventory at the house and I had an inventory at my makerspace I can't think of anybody that's going to have a thousand locations where they're storing their components. But if you are and you do, um, well, I guess that's useful to you. Um, So, you know, there is, it is single uh, user. They actually have a um, they support uh, importing your uh, bomb from KiCad. So if you're out there using KiCad, which um, is increasingly becoming a popular choice, especially with the release of 5.0, um now on the other hand if you're like um a, you know a, a starting if you're if you're doing like either a makerspace um or your small business um they do have options where you can get up to two users again two users is not a lot I don't know that's that's to me that would be maybe hobbyist but you get a lot more um features um. I guess they support barcode scanners if you have one of those, so you can kind of do more. Uh, uh, you're really doing, you really are doing, you know, hardcore inventory management. Um, it lets you create sub-assemblies. You can do purchasing. They do some. Um, well, the other thing is, then you get some configurable fields, which are not in the hobbyist version. You kind of have to use it as is, whereas with the um, open bomb it's completely pri- it's completely uh, customizable as far as I can tell so far using the free version um, again the, re- the, the the limitation on the on the open the free version of open bomb is it's one user so you're, you're basically you're inventorying with yourself um, you can share with other registered users and I haven't done that I don't know what um, benefit you get from sharing and you can it also is collaborating but um, I guess they can look at your inventory, but they can't manipulate your inventory. I don't know yet. I'll have to play with that. Um, but the open bomb, um, I think it's probably more feature-rich. Um, if you're looking for the free version, it would support Google Drive, Onshape, multiple-level bombs, bomb change reports. So, again, if you're starting out, I think I'm going to le- go with OpenBomb just because I think I like to have more features, um, not knowing what I'm really looking for, if that makes any sense. It might come to find out like that it's too much, and, I, and I'll go back, but I think to get started, OpenBomb um, might be the choice. If you, um, if you have another option, uh, let me know because I want to I want to do some more than all the other, the other one is actually, I take that back. There is one more, uh, full disclosure. I write articles and blogs for, uh, Mouser, but they actually did recently launch, I think here in the last couple months, um, and both a website and an app, uh, iOS and Android for doing inventory management, uh, at, and it's free as far as I can tell. Um, I haven't played with it much. Um, but it seems pretty cool. I know like the app version, there's a barcode reader, so you can as you, as you get your uh, deliveries from Mauser, you can scan it. Um, obviously, you' link you're, uh, you're gonna use this if you're basically solely buying from Mauser, I think. Um, I don't know if you're using if you buy from Digikey, I'm assuming they'll have something like their own, but I haven't looked into it. Anyway, um, it is called, let me see here the app is inventory. Mauser Inventory Management. So take a look at that on the app stores of your choice. All right, moving on. Uh, Arduino has, a re- uh, has released a command line interface. So woohoo to the nerds. So we talked about making a GUI with Python. Uh, the Arduino IDE is pretty sparse. Um, we understand that version 2.0 or any other like 1.8.5. They are working on the big major upgrade to a 2.0 that's supposedly going to include a debugger and it's going to work more with their FPGA that they recently released, uh, the Maker Vider, Vider, Vider 4000. Even though I think that goes up to, uh, if you're the, um, the UI for doing programming with, um, like it's a block interface. To do your program with your on the FPGA side, I think that still goes out to the cloud. I think I don't know if it's going to be in the browser or if it, it opens a browser in the IDE, I guess we'll see. But um, the cool thing is, um, if you're so inclined and you want to do stuff from the command lines and not with the IDE, uh, you will now have that option. Um, they have it up on their GitHub page, so GitHub.com/arduino slash mm-hmm. and look for Arduino-cli. You're going to basically you're going to take that, unzip it, dump it into your Arduino directory. Um, and I've been running it uh, on a Windows machine. Run it. Um, you open the, you open your command prompt uh, as administrator. I don't know if you need to do that, um, but then you can sit there and um, do basically you make builds. You can push it to your Arduino, you can do it all from the command line. And the cool thing is they say in their article that announcing the launch is basically um, the command line is going to become the way that their IDE communicates. So they're going to rip out what they use today to program and communicate with the Arduino hardware, and they're going to replace it with the CLI. So from your perspective, as if you still want to use the IDE, the difference is going to be what happens under the hood when you press that build button. Um, it's now going to go through this, basically the, the, C, the command line interface is replacing that. The cool thing about that is they say basically because the command line interface is that it's free and open, um, anybody, you can now create basically your own IDE. You can leverage the command line interface to write your own IDE or people like, you know, uh, Atom or Microsoft Visual uh, Code um, should be able to make it easier for them to uh, support Arduino from third-party IDEs or, or development packages. So that's pretty cool. Um, I think they're up to version 2.1. If you look at the article announcing the release, they only have the link to the 1.0 release, and I think as of the time of this recording, they're up to alpha release like 2.1. So... <laughs> definitely hit up the github page and get the latest all right uh let's keep going we're doing like really good on time we're gonna like this is gonna be the opposite of last week i think last time we were almost an hour this time we're gonna be like less than 20 minutes maybe which i think people prefer um especially if it's just me if i can get someone on here to talk maybe it's longer but when it's just me boring as hell all right so from motherboard um Hackers can edit body cam of footage without anyone noticing. So there is a pretty cool uh, article. I guess um, obviously a couple weeks ago there was DefCon and Black Hat out in Vegas. Um, people showing off their latest research, um, and um, you know, surprisingly, unsurprisingly, because um, I see both sides. I see the security side, and I see the the develop. You know, the you know the people that make hardware. Um, you know one on one hand being someone if you're building electro embedded electronics you're you're looking to meet a cost you've got a you've got a you got a time to market you've got um a thousand things you're worrying about uh, obviously increasingly security is becoming a concern but still uh at the end of the day sometimes you 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 know don't always make uh the best decisions in that case because you've got to you've got to get to market uh, on the flip side, as a security researcher, you kind of know that you know all bad guys only are looking for that one thing, and the easier we make it on them, um, the easier we make it on them, and we don't want to do that. So anyway, it goes. on it's a good talk, it goes through. Um, this uh, researcher's name is Josh Mitchell. He's a cybersecurity consultant at I'm not even going to pronounce it. N u i x NUIX. Nuix. Um, and he goes through, he, we, t- we, five different vendors he looked at, and basically, um, mm-hmm. some of it was you had to require access, physical access to the device. Others is if you, you could uh, compromise the machine that you hook it up back up to, uh, when you download the footage, that could be, uh, uh, an attack surface, um, he he basically, and then he also talks about like you know, all the the issues with Wi-Fi in general, where um, and from being able to track the, a police officer using the MAC address to using long-range antennas to some of the some of the um, webcam or the police cams they had. Uh, you you know it's, a, it's it is you know conceivably a feature to live stream, but you probably don't want just anyone with um, uh, being able to pick that up, and certainly the editing of data um, as well. So anyway, it's an interesting article. Um, you know, it's a cat and mouse game. Uh, security researchers, I think, do a good service because, you know, you don't have limited resources. Um, and anytime you can kind of crowdsource people to help, you know, yeah, it sucks for the first generation or the generation of products you have right out now, but your next generation products will hopefully be more secure. Take it as a good thing. Uh, s- moving on. Um so f- here's the thing, uh, fax machines. Surprisingly, or unsurprisingly to me, actually, uh, lots of organizations still use fax machines where, you know, where you punch in a phone number and you hear that, the, that wonderful, uh, sound that most of us stopped hearing in the mid nineties, late nineties, early two thousands when we switched over from dial up modems to either DSL lines or to, uh, to cable modems. Um, this basically used, it's a way to, you know, apparently, government, lawyers, doctors still used to transmit uh, pieces of paper around. So piece of paper, digital piece of paper. Um, and how in a lot of organizations, um, you know, these are becoming multi – Fax machines are now part of a multi-function. Well, they have been for a while. But um, the point is that on one hand, you've got the dial-in line coming in. And then usually, because people use it as their printer, it's connected to your network, your internal network. And uh, basically, there were some researchers that showed how basically uh, they're saying "quote unquote" booby trapped image data sent by a fax, and then let uh, hackers sneak into the corporate re- into corporate networks. So apparently, um, there is certain images, certain ways that you can, if you fax in a certain image um you can bypass or exploit fax machines to gain access to your uh, your internal networks which is um very interesting and scary because, as probably most people, even if you're not a, a tech savvy person, you know that freaking fax machines have like security is not a was never a thought, um, and certainly I don't think most people was writing new code for so, fax. So, you know, you're you're dealing with with software that was written probably forgotten about since the 80s, maybe early 90s, if you're lucky. So. Anyway, um, hopefully that will herald the, the, nothing else. It's crap. It's a crap technology. The visual, It looks like crap. The results are crap. So hopefully this will help kill fax machines once and for all. And last but not least, it wouldn't be an episode of The Gears of Resistance if we didn't talk about the wonderful world of Internet of Things. Um, I unabashedly someone who believes that it is the future whether we like it or not it is going to um, have both positive and negative impacts just like every technology that has ever created by man since the dawn of time uh, and eventually though it will become de facto and you won't even think about it um so if you i think last time we talked about uh, the, the risk resp- uh, we had we had basically uh, they we detected that the Russian hackers had gotten to uh, parts of the energy grid, the electric grid, and basically were were capable. They didn't do it, but they had the ability. They were at the screen, basically, where they could have, quote-unquote, virtually flipped a, a, a switch and brought down um, a power grid, right? So, you know, and probably, likely, we're in the, their grid, and we're probably doing this whole dance of mutually assured destruction is what's keeping uh, either side from... Being preemptive—that's my speculation. I have no, no, no real knowledge, but that just—it seems like that's probably what's going on. So, anyway, this—we talk about you know attacking the um, supply side, you know, attack the power grid, but there's also this is a very interesting article that comes from Wired, uh, another group of researchers. Um, this is U.S. security conference, so I guess you know if you didn't make it to. Uh, to DEF CON or Black Hat, you could have gone to Princeton and gone to this Usenix security conference. Or maybe it was after them. I don't know. Uh, but there was research presented there where it says, hey, why attack the power grid? That's where, you know, everyone's got a lot of time, money. There's a lot of research being done. Um, there's a lot of, there's already a lot of um, security in place, especially when the power grid and utilities, you know, even though they have, been successful, there's still, there's a lot of eyes on target. Whereas what if you attack the uh, demand side? So that's research basically saying, hey, um, let's attack, let's build a botnet out of all these Internet of Things devices and, and basically crank up the demand. Turn the air conditioners way up. Turn the, uh, if it's in the summer, or crank up the heating in the winter. Um, uh, or water heaters. The other ones are those water heaters. Crank up the demand, you know, crank up the temperature um, burn more energy the idea is the power grid is a, is a balancing act right basically the, the we always we always try to keep supply and equal with demand so that there's always just enough power being generated that is being consumed uh, and we're talking that's down to like you know the five second like we're monitoring every couple seconds to make that that you know and we're turning things spinning things up spinning things down um, to get that perfect well, if all of a sudden, and, and a lot of times the gr- increases in demand is gradual, so there's enough time to basically crank up, um, you know, whatever, whatever, wherever part of the country you are, whatever you're, however you generate electricity, there's usually time to spin up more supply to meet the demand. But what they're talking here is, well, if you just all of a sudden go basically zero to sixty all at once huge amount of demand uh, and not enough time to spin up to meet that you could bring down the grid. Um, So that's interesting and it'll be curious to see, um, you know, the internet of things has has got, yes, no no doubt has a lot of maturing to do in terms of security, a lot of lessons learned. Um, Certainly the first generation of IOT devices that came out security again, like anything else, uh, not necessarily, at the front of everyone's uh thinking um which is kind of what we talked about the uh in our last we wrote an article on e catalog about you know, you know there's this whole maker community um and building things with arduino you know diy homebrewed internet of things um which you know a lot of the times doesn't have security built in versus the idea of a secure iot and it is you know could, could, you know, bad guys, you know, yeah, the commercial products will be great, but what if you find a way to exploit all these homebrew DIY products that are out there? Anyway. Food for thought, and that will wrap it up for uh, this week. Um, as always, head over to GearsOfResistance.com to check out all our backlog of stuff. We're uh, slowly getting back in the groove here. Um, we'll do more blogs. We'll be doing more podcasts. Next, we'll try to get back is to create more videos, uh, how-tos. When I actually have some projects, I can actually uh, show and record. Um, or if I find some time to do some personal pet projects which just the time has not been there as of recent, but we'll work on that so uh, again, head on over there links to everything else we do Um, all the the YouTube we'll we'll try to do some Twitch stuff too, that would be cool get back into that Um, and then of course um, links to everything and uh, appreciate any feedback, comments, whatever you like what you don't like And we'll try to update in the future. But for now, uh, yearsofresistance.com, eecatalog.com, and uh, until next time, keep it steamy, stay quirky, and make better perpetually.